0: Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock in our salvation. Amen. Hippocrates in the ancient Greek world, Hippocrates, the one who gave us the Hippocratic Oath for the medical community, once coined a pithy saying that has really proved to be true in many, many dire situations. In the English translation, it comes out something like, desperate times call for desperate measures. And many of us know that to be true in our own experiences, right? Life experiences, work experiences, several. Sometimes extreme situations can only be addressed by actions that would not be considered normal or typical in other times. Desperate times do call for desperate measures, no question about that. Desperate times also call for confident leadership. We might think of the leadership, the confident leadership of Abraham Lincoln prior to, during, and then after the Civil War. He had his own demons, wrestled with his inner self, that's clear, but the country found him to be a confident leader in desperate times. Or Winston Churchill during the dark days of World War II, Angela Merkel, Mother Teresa, confident, confident leadership. It's not only politics it can also come into some games. I think of some football games. I don't know if anybody saw the the Vikings and Colts game yesterday early afternoon. What a game that was! Right, 33 nothing against the Vikings, and then they come back to win. Greatest comeback in the history of the NFL. That was quite something. And the confident leadership of that team helped out. There was another game not so long ago. It's two Thursday nights ago on NFL Thursday night. Let me give you the Reader's Digest version of that one. The Los Angeles Rams, as many of you know, were the defending Super Bowl champions. But a couple of weeks ago, things looked pretty desperate. Their first-string quarterback was down on the injured reserve list. Couldn't play at all. Their second-string quarterback was not looking a whole lot better. Wasn't sure that he could play that Thursday night, two Thursday nights ago. On December 6th, they decided they they probably need to look around for another quarterback. And that was only a couple of days away from the next game against the Raiders, Las Vegas. So they looked around. And and finally, in looking around, looking for a third-string quarterback only a couple of days away from the game, they came upon Baker Maysfield. Baker had been a Heisman Trophy winner in Oklahoma. Then he played for Cleveland, I think. That didn't work out well. Then Carolina Panthers, that didn't work out well either. Two weeks ago on Tuesday, he was cut by the Panthers. That happened on Tuesday. On Wednesday, the Rams picked him up. And on Thursday night, thirty-six. Hours after he was put aboard with the Rams, Baker was to play. He had 36 hours to look through the playbook of the Rams. He played one practice of scrimmages on Wednesday. On Thursday night, game night, the second-string quarterback had to leave the game at the end of the first quarter. The score was against the Rams, ten to nothing. Second quarter wasn't much better. Third quarter was even worse. With less than half of the fourth quarter left, trailing 16-3, to Baker led the Rams on two touchdown drives in three minutes and 19 seconds. Score, finally, 17-16, the Rams. The game was won by a team not likely to win, led by a quarterback who was not expected to leave. And yet there was this confident quality that kept them going and ended in victory. That's true of the really good NFL quarterbacks. You know that better than I. Brady, Favre, Manning, Breeze, Elway. Elway. When they are faced with a a dire circumstance, a desperate desperate time, when they find a come-from-behind situation late in the game, they seem to exude a kind of a quiet confidence. We got this. We can do this. Desperate times sometimes call for desperate measures. Like individuals, nations, and other groups of people... Can also find themselves in desperate situations, in dire circumstances, overwhelmed by desperate times. Can happen to nations. Can happen to nations. Who is our friend these days as a nation? Who is our enemy? Our enemies seem to be ganging up on us. Some of the people who were friends are now enemies internationally. We aren't who we used to be. We used to consider ourselves an exceptional nation, exceptionally blessed by God. We've come through a tough patch. It's almost like we went through all of fire ourselves over the last few years. As a nation, we are divided, and it's anyone's guess whether we will ever be united again. And then look around at our religion. A lot of folks who were once more faithful to God have abandoned their faith. So many things in our day pull people away from the assembly of believers. The new generation is net worship As we used to be. And neither are their children. How will they stay true to the faith. If they walk away from our shared values. Does this sound like something. We'd be saying in the 21st century. Yeah most likely there are people saying that. But these are the words of Daniel the prophet. A very long time ago. Very long time ago. It's what. Daniel was experiencing. In his ancient Old Testament world. And to them. Daniel had twin messages. First, through the prophet Daniel, God communicated that he, God, is in control, even when, especially when, it doesn't appear that way to us. Daniel wanted his people to know that the one fixed whole in all the confusion And in all the bewilderment of a world, the one fixed pole is the faithfulness and dependability of the God who created us and loves us. All the confusions in our personal lives, all the politics of the world, do not divert God from his promises and his purposes. That was the message of Daniel to his day and also to ours. In the end, Daniel was prophesying and promising. All the confusion, all the chaos, all the stupidity, all the brokenness, all the sin, all the the conflict, all of this is not going to turn out to be a hopelessly muddled scheme, a hopelessly tangled mess. Instead, right through all the puzzles, even through the conflicts of nations, there runs the red thread of God's purposes. He knows what he wants. He does what he knows. One day, perhaps, we will look back from the throne of God himself with amazement, and we will say, If ever I had dreamt when I stood at the grave of my loved one and everything looked so dark, if ever I had dreamt when I was faced with a horrifying malignancy or one of my family members faced the same, If ever I had dreamt when I was facing the ruins of a ruined relationship or the brokenness of a career realignment, if I had ever dreamt that God was carrying out his design and his plan and that everything was moving on toward his day, if I had known that, I would have been more calm and more composed. I would have been more confident. Daniel's people needed to hear that. And so surely do we. Daniel's second message is this. God keeps a record of his people and they can be certain that they will be not lost eternally. Daniel said it this way in our first lesson. At that time, your people, everyone whose name is written in the book, will be delivered. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and others to everlasting contempt. Everyone whose name is found in the book. What a poignant picture. It's God's family album. It's God's family Bible. I grew up, and surely some of you did as well, with a big family Bible in the living room, in the Forward in the Bible, there were family trees in blank, and and families could write the names there of not only the present generation, but the ancestors and the ones before that and so on. And when us children came along, our parents would write us in that book, a book of life, really. Because when our name was entered in that family Bible, it meant that we belonged, we were significant, we were protected. Those whose name is written in the book of life, they will be remembered. They will be delivered. Just as a little bit of a side note, in the New Testament, nearly all the books have the idea of the resurrection just smeared all over them. It is the central moment in human history. It is the foundational doctrine of Christianity, and it's elaborated on in the New Testament time and again. By contrast, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, you will find only a few foggy references to the idea of the resurrection of all people. Job, Job 19, a wonderful passage. I know that my Redeemer lives. There are some sure references in Isaiah, but they get foggy when you get to Ezekiel and some of the other prophets. But there is one passage in the Old Testament that has a clear teaching of the resurrection of the dead. And it is the passage that we have as our Old Testament, our first lesson this this morning. Those who sleep in the dust will awake. Those who rise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And then in our gospel lesson, our third lesson this morning, then the righteous shall shine. Then the righteous shall shine. Friends, our names, your name and my name, are written in the book of life, the family album, God Takes Care of His Children. In this brief passage from the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12, God shines some flashlights spiritually for the Old Testament people. About a year ago, I had a conversation with one of my extended family members who was going through a health challenge. He said that he'd been talking with his doctors. He had gotten the diagnosis about his health situation, which was bad, and he was also given the prognosis of his health situation, which was worse. Of course, he wanted to know what was going to happen. When were things going to happen for him? What was going to be coming down the line for him? And how would he respond? One of his physicians reached into his medical coat and pulled out a small flashlight and he said, it's going to be like this. We're going to give you a flashlight. It's going to show you what likely we're going to do in the next two to three months. And we'll tell you kind of what's going to happen to you in the next two or three months as well. And then at the end of three months... We're going to throw that flashlight away and we're going to give you another one. And that new one, to the best of our knowledge, will show you and predict for you what the next two to three months are going to be like, what we'll be doing to you and for you and how you're going to react as well. In this small passage from Daniel, God shown two lights, two spiritual lights for his people. The first flashlight He's going to take care of his people right now. Things may be desperate. Things may be desire. But he's got us. And then Jesus, rather God, then God in the Old Testament shines that second flashlight, spiritual flashlight for the Old Testament people. He says that they will come when you will stand with the Trinity in eternity. That day is going to come when when all flesh is going to rise. That day is going to come when there will be that great separation. And then he says, let your light shine. Let your light shine. What size of a flashlight do you need this Advent Christmas season? How far do you need to see? Do you understand that spiritually God is going to give you exactly the right size flashlight that you will need? Just the one that you do need? That was a promise to the people in Daniel's time. It's a promise to us as well. I close by asking you to to imagine in your mind, to paint in your mind a certain picture. It illustrates the Christian hope, the Christian hope that says he's with me. So so paint a a mental picture, would you, with me? Imagine that you were a 26-year-old woman. You're through college. You're in your first career, living by, your, by yourself first time, and it's, it's a wonderful experience. And then you meet someone, and this, this could be the one. And, and you start dating, and you date two, three, maybe even five times, and things have moved along very pleasantly. Then comes that day when you decide it's time for your parents to meet your hunk. It's the big reveal, right? The big reveal. You are at your parents' home when he drives up. You go out to the curb to meet him and and walk him up the sidewalk to the front door. and, And mom and dad are there and they welcome you in and there are introductions and And as the introductions are being made, (laughs) you can see in your parents' eyes that you were hoping that maybe you'd bring something home just a little bit higher on the food chain. Yeah, right? But then they look in your eyes, and your eyes are telling them, he's with me. And they're okay with that. Life moves on, and, and... Five years later, you're married. And five years on, they realize that maybe he's not the knuckle-dragger that they first thought when they first saw him. And then five years after that, they're ready to welcome him into your family. (laughs) Little rabbit trail here. After the first service, two different men came up to me. You have no idea, they said. Let me change the narrative. Let me change the menu, the, the, the venue, rather. In the Christian faith, we believe, based on New Testament teaching certainly, that there will come a last day. There will come that great reckoning. As Daniel prophesied, there will be that great separation. We will be called to the judgment hall of God for that great judgment. Something Daniel spoke about. And maybe there's going to be a line waiting to get into heaven, and I'm quite sure that that if I stand next in line behind Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, I'm toast, (laughs) pun intended. And then the roll call will be read, and God is going to be looking at that book of life mentioned by Daniel. God is going to see me and he's going to say, Stuart Schultz, uh, I'm told that's your name. Why should I allow you into my kingdom? And I'm going to say something like, well, I've, I've been around in the Christian church all my life, born in the church for heaven's sake, never left it. I should get some extra credit, shouldn't I, for being a pastor for more than four decades, for crying out loud? Goodness knows I haven't been perfect let me tell you something about the people down the street, and I've got some family members who are some real nut jobs, let me tell you. right. Beyond that, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that you grade on the curve. God's going to be quiet. He's going to reach for the book of life, and then he's going to start going down the columns and the pages one after another after another and I'm starting to get worried and I'm worried more and the pages keep turning and he keeps looking at the names and I reach over to him and I say that's Schultz that's not a T common mistake happens all the time as if he needs help right and about that time Jesus Christ himself is going to come over to me and he's going to put his arm around my shoulder and he's going to say to God the father dad this is my brother Stuart, brother of another mother. He's with me. He's with me. And God the Father is going to say, that changes things. That changes things. I finally found your name here, Mr. Schultz, written in a unique color, blood red. Welcome to heaven. We've been waiting for you. Would you please follow my son just down the on the way here? You see that long banquet table down the down the line here. Oh, pull up a chair. There's some there's some folks here from Emmanuel Church in Crystal Lake. You might recognize them. Welcome home. Welcome home. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Christmas Eve became Good Friday so that Good Friday could become Easter Sunday. First for him, then for us. Emmanuel, he's with us. He's with me, and and he's with you. For that message and for the continuing promise of salvation in Jesus Christ, and so much more, we say this morning, Thanks, thanks, and thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in the faith which comes through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please stand now as we continue.